Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast. My name is Catherine King and I'll be your host. In this podcast, we chat to senior executives from a range of departments, industries and functions, all about their passions, experiences and challenges within data analytics. Let's go ahead and dive straight into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Business of Data podcast brought to you by Carinium. This week we are talking all about the essential qualities that help data and analytics leaders deliver results. Now, as we know, data leadership roles are evolving constantly. A CDAO's responsibilities can vary hugely from sector to sector, from company to company. And opinion on what it takes to be a successful CDAO or data leader can be extremely diverse depending on who you ask. But with the Harvard Business Review reporting that the average CDO's tenure is around 2.5 years, it's clear that something is going on regarding expectations in what is notoriously a very demanding and often misunderstood role. So this week, we're doing something a little bit different on the podcast because I am absolutely treated by the fact that I not only have one brilliant guest, I in fact have two brilliant guests for you this week. It is my pleasure to be joined by Sarah Gad, who is the head of data and AI solutions for Credit Suisse, and Alexander Lazovic, who is the VP of Advanced Analytics and Data Engineering from Stanley Black & Decker. Welcome both, how are you doing? You're doing great. We're Thank good, you. <laughs> thanks. Amazing. <laughs> Now, I'm going to preface this that I intend to host rather than referee. I think uh, there's going to be a few different opinions on this, but that's why uh, we invited you both to speak on this, because I think your your views on successful data leadership and what that looks like in the future versus now is going to be a little bit different. But I am excited for this conversation. But let's set the scene. I think, Sarah, I'll start with you. Let's start with Tell me a bit about your own career journey. What's your background? How did you find yourself in your senior role in in data analytics? Thank you, Catherine, and thank you for such an awesome tee up. So, you know, my my role is very non-traditional, right? My background came from a very non-traditional basis. Um, When I grew up in South Africa, um, I was in a position where I could not go to university. um, So I had to get out of work, um, had to earn my way pay my own rent, et cetera. Um, So I ended up doing an apprenticeship program, um, which at that time was an electronic composition. So it was kind of a mix of learning how to use computers, but um, also design and elements of desktop publishing. So a bit of a mix of everything. Mm. Um, Did that for a few years and got fascinated by how things were digitized, right? So got really interested in how you convert something from an image or a piece of paper um, through to an actual capture of zeros and ones and code, yeah? Um, so after I left my apprenticeship, I worked in South Africa for a couple of years and moved to the UK. And what was great was South Africa was this like beta testing ground for German tech. So they would send it over to South Africa, we'd kick the tires and it, test it around. You know, they didn't really care <laughs> whether it worked or not. And then if it works, um, they kick, you know, get, get rid of the kinks and then it would go international. So when I got to the UK, my knowledge of the kind of digitization space was like way beyond uh, where they were then in terms of print. So it was still like pieces of paper and cutting out holes for different colors. So I was like, whoa, no, wait, hang on. This is all generated on a computer, right? Everything you're receiving is coming from a computer. You don't need to print it out. 
and you can actually use that uh, digital code to generate what you need. Um, so I got involved in that, kind of transformed that area um, into more of a digitized approach and then taught myself how to code. So I got <laughs> really interested in the patterns of data and you know how you can actually find patterns within at that time postscript language, but understanding how it defines um, itself, how the mm -hmm. digital image was generated in the code, what was alive, right? What was the color? Right? How could you spot those patterns? Um, so I literally spent time reading manuals online and learning how to code, um, VB, VBA, very basic stuff, and then started creating end-to-end um, -end solution systems for the financial services um, in London. Um, all sorts of different things from like sales capture systems through to and front to back straight through processing systems for publishing, so bits and pieces. And then uh, got offered a role in uh, New York and uh, started my journey in America. Um, so I moved over there and was there for a long time. I worked at uh, Credit Suisse there after being at DLJ for a short period. And I worked actually on the business side. So I was like the translator, right? So business would say, hey, we need this. And I'd be the person who translated that into tech speak to say, well, actually what they really want is this. <laughs> then make sure that we're kind of staying on track. I spent most of my time coding with the IT guys. My code looked like a dog's breakfast, but it kind of got the job done. And they loved it because I was completely outside the box, right? I hadn't been taught anything from a traditional basis. So to me, anything was possible. And in those days, with the early days of Microsoft, anything was possible. I mean, you could literally, you know, flip Excel or, or PowerPoint or Word on its head, right, to get what you wanted. Um, and then, yeah, grew there, uh, moved to different roles, uh, being in finance, worked in CFO clients, um, worked on being able to generate profitability models for the bank, and <laughs> um, they're very IT orientated. And then when they started the big data journey about seven years ago, Credit Suisse, I was like, yep, I've been doing work with predictive analytics and with the IT teams around that. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is exactly where I want to be. I'm a complete data geek. Uh, so I moved over to that team, actually to start off with to structure the group, right? So to focus not just on the art of the possible, but also the practical, how do we make it real? What platforms do we need? And how do we actually measure value? Um, and then ended up running that group. So now I've got a group that uh, spans around the globe. Uh, we do everything from the big data platform to the center of excellence for data science and stuff in between. Um, and it's been a great journey. Wow. I mean, well, thank you, first of all, Sarah. I mean, I should really just ask this question on every podcast because I love that no journey is really the same. And I love the, the twists and turns of that. Now, Alex, you were, uh, for, for the benefit of our listeners, you were there smiling away at, at Sarah's journey. And I think it's fair to say that your journey, from my own knowledge, is a bit more traditional data science and obviously including your PhD in machine learning and predictive modeling. So I wonder if you could give us a, a bit of an insight into your background as well. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's definitely more traditional. I can even say that I was doing data analysis my whole life. I always loved the data. I always loved the numbers. And even as a kid, I was trying to find a way to play with them. <laughs> so when I had the opportunity to come to US for my PhD, my advisor was starting a completely new field at that time called machine learning. And it was so fascinating to me that I ended up doing my whole career. And actually, I never imagined it to be so hot as it today. But I guess this just comes, uh, actually confirms my predictive capability skills. <laughs> 
And uh, over these years, I really evolved from someone who is a technical person who I implemented most of these machine learning algorithms myself to a really data analytics executive who understands not only the technical concept, but also the business aspects as well, how to drive analytics across the whole organization. Uh, I worked for many different companies, many different industries. Um, I started with Army Research Center when I was doing uh, machine learning for computer security. I switched to United Technologies Corporation, which is pretty big conglomerate doing different kinds of video surveillance, uh, uh, fall detection, diagnostics, prognostics, uh, physical security. I switched to the Travelers Property and Casualty Insurance, where I was responsible for credit scoring and telematics. Uh, after that, I moved to Aetna, where I was mostly responsible for healthcare, fraud, waste, and abuse. Absolutely amazing topic area <laughs> to work on. A lot of waste in our healthcare space. And most recently, I was leading a, a centralized analytics organization at Stanley Black & Decker. Uh, regardless where I work, I always try to really create the value and create the impact for the organization by finding the right data-driven insights and building that kind of data-driven culture. Because in my opinion, this is really important. I believe that this kind of diverse experience helped me a lot to provide me some kind of unique and holistic view of how to solve certain business at a problem. And I think that kind of reflect my whole experience. So that's really briefly about me. <laughs> and <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for the invitation. I'm really glad to be here. I'm really thrilled. No, you are most welcome. And for those listeners who perhaps listened to this, this journey and obviously they, they heard me list out both of your names, they may be thinking, I've seen these two names together before, in which case you may have already read uh, our, our recent report, I should say, uh, the future CDAO 2022, where you both contributed your, your thoughts to that. So if you haven't already read that report, uh, do go and find it. You'll find it at the Business of Data uh, website. We'll pop the link in the show notes as well, because uh, you're joined by other contributors there who, who add in their thoughts around this topic as well. But this, the idea of this podcast, let's extend that conversation, extend your thoughts there. So I think the best place to start is what even is a CDAO, really? What is a data leader today? Uh, Sarah, I'll, I'll, I'll come to you first. Now, Gartner famously defined four types of CDO back in 2019. Um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind summarizing kind of what those are uh, for those who, who perhaps haven't uh, heard of, of those categories before. And then your your thoughts really on whether you think this is still relevant today in, in 2022. Yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting, right? Because if you think about when the journey started, I mean the journey on CDO, I mean you could argue it goes back to almost master data management days, right? Mm -hmm. But I think the the hype and the you know when it really got off the ground was probably around maybe nine, eight years ago now. And at that time, you, you know, especially in financial services, but also in other industries, you're getting hit with a ton of regulation, right? There's a ton of regulation around cross-border, around know your clients, around your key data elements. And so the biggest focus you had at that time was governance, right? Get your head around the data you've got on the firm, know where your important assets are, make sure you've got accountability, that you're doing your data quality checks, right? So you've got the right security structure and framework in place. So the initial start of the kind of CDO 1.0, I think it was called, is around this management, right? It's about this data governance and management. And governance, I think even now, has got that kind of nasty taint to it where people say governance and they think, oh, roadblock, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it slows everything down. 
Um, and I'll talk a bit about that kind of journey as, as we go on. And then obviously, as you're getting your head around your data and you start understanding where your data assets are and that they are of quality, they're strategic, they're the right data assets, you start moving into more of the analytics domain, right? So now how do you use that to kind of empower and embrace analytics so they're not going all over the place trying to find data for X? You can actually just point them to the right place and kind of make that journey more efficient. Um, and as you do that, again, building blocks like foundation up, right? You start moving to digital transformation. Right? So you can actually take the environments that are being built and start to really transform some of your business problems and answer those in a more digitized fashion, right? Going to uh, Alexander's comment about data-driven culture, right? You've got to be able to drive that with quality data and ease of access to data and efficiency. And so bringing all that together enables that uh, digitization and digital transformation. And now what we're seeing very much so, and I think this is the CDO 4.0, um, is we're talking a lot more now around data products. Um, people may hear data mesh, data fabric. These are mm -hmm. terms that are bandied around, especially data mesh is like the big hype one right now. But actually looking data as a product itself to be able to drive P&L in the bottom line. Um, so not just as a service, but also as a way to really generate value for the firm as a product versus as a project. Um, and that's really the big shift um, that was being referred in that so CDO 4.0. And it's part of that transformation journey as we move forward. So being able to take governance, that word, uh, and turn it actually into a massive enabler for the firm and a way to generate insights and value fast versus being in a roadblock. And that's actually something you need to digitize, right? Digitizing governance is a big theme as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, when we first started the Business of Data podcast, in fact, the very first episode was data governance isn't a dirty word, uh, which was you know a few years ago now. And I think it's still very much on, on the front minds of so many leaders actually is, is trying to over, overcome that to, to it being an enabler, as you say. Now, Alex, when it comes to a CDAO's responsibility, they tend to vary depending on which industry they're in. Would you say that's fair? And based on your answer, where do you expect them to, to be going in the next 12 months? Uh, that's a great question. I believe that the responsibilities of CDA, CDO, CDAO <laughs> may depend depending on the industry. In my opinion, if you work for the companies that are more data-driven, like uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Uber, this company, typically, they don't need to focus too much on addressing data quality, data management, and building this kind of the data culture, because data is really in their blood and you have really analytics built in almost everywhere, and you have some kind of federated model. And the role of CDAO is really not necessarily someone to lead a single organization and lead all the efforts across the whole company, but rather someone who is accountable for strategic initiatives where the company should invest in uh, data, AI, and machine learning. Uh, in my opinion, second group of the companies or second group of industries would be really someone in financial and insurance space who were traditionally using the data, but mostly from typical data analysis or statistical and modeling set, I believe you will belong into that group. Companies that uh, were using the data historically, but not really from the big data perspective. I think these uh, companies, they have this data in the decent shape, but probably the culture of applying AI and machine learning is still kind of limited or in development. And the goal of CDAO in that company is really to bring the awareness of maybe AI and machine learning 
and relevant use cases to the whole company, how machine learning could be leveraged, not just to use statistical modeling like GLM and stuff like that. And then finally, the third group is everyone else, all other industries really. Typically in these companies, they don't have data culture. They have really low quality of the data. They are at the beginning of the data analytics journeys. And the goal of CDO in these companies is really not necessarily, not only to get the right data, not to actually set the right data platform, not only to fix the data management, the data governance, but also to actually increase that awareness actually of the data analytics to build that kind of data driven culture to engage with the right stakeholders, to choose the right use cases. So it's much, much broader. And I think that's why many companies actually fail to define really well this role, because it would really depend on the company, the company, depending where your data culture is. And that's why we have, you mentioned 65% of CDOs actually fail with to actually leave after two and a half years. Uh, just to add a little comment on what uh, Sarah was talking earlier about the CDO. So there is definitely shift to product because many organizations pass the phase when they're doing isolated use cases and there is a need really to scale up. And actually mm -hmm. that's what's really important. We cannot just focus, I think one of the comment from the author of that Gartner article, uh, Mario Faria was actually that data leaders really need to focus on the data platform first. I absolutely agree that without great data quality you would not go far. But in my opinion, you really need to think, you know, how to go further, because if you just focus on data, you would not be able to quantify the value of this really quickly. And that's another reason that many CDOs complain. Although they focus on data, they really fail to demonstrate the value. Instead, what I would suggest is really they need to focus on um, selecting the few use cases to start with these tangible examples, how data analytics can drive the business outcomes, whether this is top line, bottom line efficiency, and also to select the right one or two forward thinking business partners and to demonstrate this value. And then these people will become the change agents across the whole company. Mm -hmm. So. Chief data and analytics officers are the future. This emerging cohort of executives is proving absolutely vital in helping enterprises accelerate their digital transformation plans and thrive in an increasingly data-driven business environment. Yet, these executives must also cultivate a unique and broad range of skills to succeed in what is a notoriously demanding role. With expert commentary from nine top executives from across the globe, our The Future CDAO 2022 report is designed to help current and aspiring data and analytics executives do exactly that. Inside, you'll discover the success factors that enable the world's best data-focused leaders to rise to the top and succeed in these demanding roles. To download for free, simply visit www.business-of-data.com slash future CDAO. Yeah, if I could, if I could just uh, chime in a bit there, because it's, it's not dissimilar from the journey we went on with Big Data, right? When we started our Big Data like seven years ago, it was kind of building the plane, flying the plane, and having passengers on the plane sure. that you know we kind of brought in as help us engineer the plane as we're flying it and building it. So part of the journey, and then they became the champions. But on the CDAO thing, you know, what strikes me is it's almost like looking for the unicorn, and maybe that's why it's so short-lived. Um, to me, it's not a title; it's 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 a it's a it's a mission. Right, and it's not necessarily as one person, 
because you, you need somebody who's going to drive it from the business side, right? So you need senior business leaders who understand the consumer perspective, right? So what do we need to provide from a consumer? How do we generate revenue? How do we generate value? And then you need the technology partnership, right? You need somebody who understands the art of the possible, who's able to bring that machine learning, artificial intelligence, even advanced analytics lens, and build the platforms to enable the capability. And I think a, a, a true CDAO success story is actually when those things work together and when they work together in partnership and really in, um, you know, in, in a succinct way forward with a strategy, a clear strategy and vision to actually bring the capabilities to the companies. And then you, pu- you, you probably have better success stories. Uh, for example, our CDO has been around for a lot longer than two and a half years, but we work as a partnership, right? We work as a partnership with IT mm-hmm. and the business side together uh, to generate value and deliver on that. Um, so it's, it's almost like, you know, I'm not a data scientist. I have a team of data scientists, right? I'm not going to dictate to them which algos to go use, but I'm going to ask questions that nobody else is asking. So I bring a diverse perspective. My, my business partner, the CDA, brings a diverse perspective. So I think you've got to bring these things together to be successful in that CDAO capability. I don't think it's necessary a single person. I think that's a bit like hunting for unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. Absolutely. <laughs> Having all these skills will definitely, you're finding a unicorn. <laughs> yeah. And I think it speaks to, to what we were mentioning earlier as well about a company's maturity. Do you have, are you in that position to have and facilitate that collaboration? Where is everyone's capabilities in having a seat at that table uh, and, and making the most of it? Now, uh, I, I did make reference at the start that potentially I could end up being a bit of a referee here when it comes to that kind of role. Now, Sarah, it's quite clear from, from your background, and I, I, I believe I, I'm told that uh, you, you are quoted saying that anyone with a passion for data has the potential to be a data leader. Um where where does that come from from you obviously i'm assuming it comes from your own experience but how does that play out in reality how can you see that unfolding that's great and actually we've just um you know we're working with an organization called uh, code first goals now and uh, we're bringing in um goals from there into credit swiss where it's again they don't necessarily have the data science background or the degree in data science or doing nano degrees um but they have the passion and I suppose at base level, it's my belief that you either have passion or you don't. You can learn skills, right? So education is all about learning skills. But if you're passionate about something, that's going to take you to the end. Um, and I certainly have PhD level data scientists who are clear data leaders and do an amazing job mentoring. Um, but I myself am a clear example of somebody who doesn't have that paper um, behind them. Um, but I think through my passion for data and my curiosity, right, being also open-minded to kind of ask all the questions um, has really helped me um, lead in this space and drive a culture of credit Swiss forward in terms of being able to understand the impact of data and making data-driven decisions, um, you know, bring people with us in a partnership and a journey. So I, I view myself more as that business leader, right, um, mm. versus somebody who's uh, ever going to set the standards on data science. Uh, but then I do run, you know, AI governance for the bank, right? So I, I work with the Bank of England and the FCA and being able to, as part of the AI public-private forum, um, talking about what aspects we need to think about when it comes to AI governance. So I think you, you need that diversity of skills. You have to have the passion in the room. And I think other things you learn. I mean, I, I've been a supervisory analyst. <laughs> I've, I've learned so many different things. I have a, you know, I have my... I, 
I meant to say, I am a CSA charter holder. <laughs> I don't think I've used my membership for many years, um, but I did that for three years, right? All sorts of different learning aspects. And I think we all continue, uh, hopefully always continue to learn throughout our lives. Mm. Uh, but you've got to have the passion to do so. Otherwise, you'll just sit on the couch and watch TV all day. So <laughs> that passion to me is, is kind of the base, the base that you want to start with, right? Find that thing that you're passionate about. When I, I had no career plan, right? <laughs> Literally, when I, when I left school, before I went into my apprenticeship, I was like uh, working behind a sales counter. I did door-to-door sales. I mean, all sorts of different stuff. I had no clue what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> but once I found my passion, once I found that thing, and I was like, oh, I really want to get out of bed in the morning and do this, or I really want to work all nights on this. That's the thing I knew. That was my North Star. That was the thing I knew I had to follow yeah. through on. So hence my kind of focus on passion. Yeah, I love that. And I also love the inclusion of the word curiosity. I think that's always going to be a word that springs up in all of these conversations when we're we're talking about the big challenges as well. I know uh, recently on the podcast, we covered the talent problem and it's a case of you need to find curious people who want to dig in and and find solutions to problems or rather find problems uh, some of the time. Uh, Absolutely. Now, Alex, then your perspective, a little bit different, uh, you've suggested that CDAOs and data leaders should really have quite a deep technical data science background or, or data background. Why do you put more emphasis on this area? So uh, uh, first, I agree with uh, Sarah that passion is really important. I think you can do anything with the passion. Also, with, you agree with you, Catherine, you mentioned curiosity is really important. I think this is one of the main characteristics of how you define successful data scientists. What I mentioned when I mentioned that uh, CDOs have, should have technical background, I thought mostly from the perspective that you, since you need to be able to hire the multidisciplinary team, develop the talent, data scientists are really unique sort of professions, really. They tend to work for a leader that to be able to understand what they're seeing, what they're talking about, maybe to coach them from that perspective. And also, uh, when you have to attract and retain the best talents across the data science, AI engineering, data management, you need to basically ensure that you're working on their biggest challenges. You need to be able to provide them with the right problems, but the right tools as well. You need to be able to actually help mm-hmm. them when they are stuck. I believe you need to be able to understand that particular analytics uh, technique <clears throat> or approach could be used for a particular business problem and connect the dots immediately. That's why I believe this kind of technical aspect is important. You don't need to be able to code. You don't need to be understand in deep all the algorithms, how they work. But basically, you need to understand the connection between particular analytics approach and the particular business use case. Uh, so having that, that su- a successful CDAO would need to have also deep domain knowledge of particular industry as well. I think this is extremely important. And also, which is probably the most important in my opinion, is able to master the organizational dynamics and spread the word about the benefits of data analytics to evangelize the data science across the whole company. And this is the most important and really the most challenging. And what Sarah mentioned earlier, finding the person that have all these three characteristics is extremely hard. And (laughs) really talking about the data analytics unicorn. And depending what skills the company emphasize really depends on my previous comment, which kind of data-driven culture you are and where mm. you belong. I think that's how the company should decide what kind of skills they should focus on. 
Yeah, I love that. And I love the addition of, of the, the word you use there about coaching, because I think that's a really interesting aspect that many people come into an organization and will need that level of mentorship and coaching that's tailored to the organization. I think that the idea of cookie cutter type roles and approaches is, is just been thrown out the door now and it is very much tailored. And I, I love that inclusion, like I say, of, of coaching and that idea that you perhaps do need someone with uh, uh, the background in order to kind of put, push them and yeah. grow them, grow one, them forward. One of the main, main drivers for data scientists is really ability to learn and ability to work on cool stuff. And you really need to be able to provide these kind of things. And actually, if they are working on cool stuff, if they are learning all the time, they would be happy. And making happy data scientists today is extremely challenging. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something we can all, all agree on for sure. Now, at the start of the conversation, uh, we mentioned it throughout as well. We're, we're kind of focusing in on this 2.5 year average of, of a CDO's tenure, which obviously compared to others is not very long. How far would you both agree that executives in the business expect too much of their company's CDAO? And how much of that, how much importance do you place on the role of communicating and setting expectations of what is actually possible? Um, and I, I've mentioned it in the past. I would love to be on a fly, fly on the wall in the room of a CDO on their first day saying, no, nope, can't do that. This is what you're going to get. I think that would be incredibly brave. But I think there does need to be a level of perhaps communicating, you know, th this is the timeline of what you want to achieve and how that's going to look and the resources behind it. So to recap, when it comes to the business, are the expectations just too high? Sarah, I'll come to you first. Yeah, that's a that's a such a tough question to answer because the role changes through time, right? And I think that part of the challenge is, you know, even when you start today, you walk into a role today, and you have a clear expectation based on the interview process or the conversations you've had that this is your role, right? It kind of fits in a box, um, and that's what you need to deliver. Depending on events. Right. So obviously, we're going through geopolitical times right now, um, but we have. It seems like every <laughs> every year we have a new shock to society. Right? Mm -hmm. So whether it's COVID or geopolitical events, um, that can completely change the focus of what you need to worry about in your role. Um, and that's why I think that the partnership is so key, right? That person who be, needs to be in that role may understand what they need to do day one, but in order for them to mold, change, grow, educate, learn, and be agile through time, they have to have the right partnerships in place to be able to do that, to listen and hear. I mean, listening has to be one of the major skills, understand the direction the businesses are going in and what the needs and demands are but then have the right partnerships because they're not going to be able to do one person cannot do it all. Hmm. Right. You need to have the right partnerships to say, okay, fine. You're, you're in a space that deals with AI and ML, right. And I'm hearing that we need to be able to action this over here as a, as a, as a major disruptor for the bank. You know, how can we do that? Let's partner together. I'm going to drive it from the business side because I understand the data domain space, et cetera. So I think the business, um, you know, and it's interesting we're having this conversation, right? So I think the business sees, oh, it's a person. Right. So, you know, I taught them originally to go do governance and to get all my governance in order. Right. You know, we, we, we've done that. But now this person needs to be a technologist and they need to understand data science and they need to understand machine learning. And they have to now understand data meshes and data fabrics and data products. Oh, and they've got to build the platforms and they've got to own and manage the platforms. <laughs> <laughs> it's the impossible mission. Right. But from a business perspective, 
they want to dictate the mission, right? As long as they're seeing that the partnership or the collaboration or the unit or the capability is actually servicing that mission, it's moving forward with them, mm-hmm. right? It's actually achieving the goals as things change. That I don't think they really care if it's one person or two people or three people fulfilling that capability from a senior perspective. They're more interested in whether the capability is being filled. Um, so I think it's, you know, to go back to, you know, are they, is the business demanding too much? Do you need to be able to say no? Um, there's obviously times you have to be able to say no. Um, but if you say no a lot, and especially in situations where you should be saying yes, because the opportunity is, is clear, and that's probably not going to, <laughs> that's not going to be long lasting. Um, so finding those, those right partnerships, so you can shift, move, change, be agile, understand the benefits and the opportunities you know, technology capabilities are growing exponentially, right? Mm-hmm. Every time we turn around, there's there's a new capability. Um, and, you know, it'll, it'll be crypto, right? And uh, smart data contracts next and quantum. Yeah. You know, Lord knows, right? This is all going to come down the pike. There's no person on planet Earth who's going to be able to know all that um, as it evolves and it's evolving mm-hmm. fast. So yes, I think there's a, there's an expectation, but I think the reality is it's not a person. It's probably an army, or at least a few people leading the army that are going to yeah. that are going to success there. Yeah, it's really interesting. Actually, you mentioned about the the various challenges that that we're going to be uh, uh, seeing in the future and how uh, multivariate that's going to be, and and just how how wide that that potential journey could be and again that tailored approach to what where does your organization need to go in all of that because uh we certainly don't need to be necessarily capitalizing on everything so it's a case of having that that collaboration with the business to go what are our priorities and moving in that way and i know uh, i've spoken to, to many leaders where that collaboration hasn't been as great they're continuing on their strategy the business strategy is going in the other direction and suddenly at the end of two years what you have done it means nothing in a way because the business has gone off completely uh, in a different different direction for, for sure. Alex, how about you? What's your thoughts around kind of organizational expectations of what they expect of a CDAO? Yeah, I, I agree with Sarah. I think the expectations are too high, but I also believe that the role is relatively poorly defined as well. Many organizations really do not know what to expect from CDOs. And some organization initially went based on the, some previous discussion went with CDO only, then CAO, Chief Analytics Officer, mm. they combine them. And when you focus only on the data, and as I mentioned earlier, it's hard to quantify some of these values and it's hard to show the progress. At the same time, you want to combine this with uh, analytics efforts. You want to actually show the value. At the end of the day, most analytics organizations exist to create the value, create the impact for the organizations, for the companies. And that's basically what uh, many CDOs have to focus really to create a value. Uh, I also believe that very often CDOs do not have enough support from IT, not necessarily from CEO, CEO hire them, but not you know, from other major stakeholders for multiple reasons. You know, Maybe they don't believe analytics. Maybe they don't think they need that. There mm. are multiple reasons. And that's why this kind of data-driven culture is important because this is also a fundamental job of the chief data analytics officer to create that kind of new environment, change completely the culture. And I think uh, having said all of this, really, I believe the people expect the miracles and CDOs really fail to deliver these miracles. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and this is coming mostly from properly defining. I think the similar trend was in 80s when we had a new chief information officer and there was a lot of uncertainty and changes how it's happening. Yeah. I think the similar is happening with uh, chief data analytics officer right now when companies are still struggling what exactly they want to do. And I think this will take probably for the next two to three years for things, for things to be standard a little bit more or stable. And then after that, we'll start to see more value and actually more consistent approach what CDO or CDA or should do. Mm, I love that. Love it. Now, time has absolutely run away with us. And <laughs> I always end the podcast on the same question every episode, which is what is the thing or maybe two things you would love our listeners to take with them as they go about their day not sure I, I need to do some data to see when people listen to this I, I just envision them on their commute listening in but they could be at the end of their day but when they finish the episode what is it that you want them to be thinking about having listened to you guys for about 30 minutes talk about the future of the CDAO what that role means what are the takeaways you would love for them to be thinking about Sarah I'll come to you first Okay, so I would say, first of all, um, not necessarily CDAO related, but I would say, look for your ninja skills. Um, so if you have something that you want to get out of the bed in the morning and do that you really enjoy doing, that you have a passion for, go pursue something in that day. <laughs> the stuff that keeps you in bed in the morning, you're probably going to have some of that stuff mixed in with any career you embark on but try and identify the stuff that gets you out of bed. And if it's data, all the better. Um, I would say on the <laughs> CDAO um, domain space, this is a wide open domain. And data is everybody's problem, right? It is not necessarily a technology problem. It is not necessarily a systems problem. It is not necessarily a governance problem. It's everybody's problem. When we start getting into data ethics, right? You know, ethicists and data, wow, who thought that would happen, right? So, you know, be ready to ask questions, raise your hand. Sometimes it is the one voice in the room that hardly ever speaks up that asks a question that is completely out of the box that can save a program, product, or project. So make sure you ask the questions. Don't think that you need to keep silent because you're not necessarily the expert in the space, right? Everybody's perspective counts. Um, so if you're working in that data domain, make sure you raise your hand and, you know, look for opportunities. Don't be scared of uh, doors, right? Uh, take risks, you know, calculated risks. If you feel that you want to go and try it, do something different, if you want to do data science for a while, and try find an opportunity to learn that. Try and find someone to mentor you and to help you grow. And obviously, there's a lot of education opportunities now, especially in the nanodegree front, and that people mm -hmm. can take advantage of, uh, things like EDST, et cetera. But, you know, keep learning. Thank you so much, Sarah. Alex, how about yourself? Okay, so advice for Chief Data Analytics Officer. First, think about value. <laughs> uh, you have to create a value to be successful. So think how you can actually create several tangible examples, what you want to do, how to create a value, how to create that kind of trust and credibility with your major stakeholders, and actually you grow from there. Second, uh, don't ignore the culture. Culture is important. Uh, focus and actually invest in building that data-driven culture across the company and actually make sure that people are eager to learn. As Sarah mentioned, people love to learn, but you need to enable them. You need to provide them the right resources to learn about this, to increase awareness about data analytics. And I absolutely agree with Sarah, data should be everyone's uh, problem or people should have, all the people should have access to data. The whole company should be able to drive the insights using the data. 
And the third, like a bonus thing, <laughs> would be don't forget about the data. Don't forget about data quality. You would not go far if you don't fix these things. But I think priority is mostly on the value because you need to move. You need to move uh, fast. Amazing. Well, both, thank yeah. you so much for joining me on this. But I should have said data is everybody's asset. <laughs> yes. problem or opportunity. Data is everyone's opportunity. It's probably a better word than problem. No, thank you, Catherine. This has been great. Great discussion. Awesome. Well, I'll speak to you both very, very soon. Thank you, ladies. It was thank a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Alexander. We hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. Do be sure to subscribe and follow the Business of Data podcast wherever you're currently listening to ensure you're always first in line to the latest episode. We'd also appreciate your review as well. So if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving us a review. And as always, find us on socials as well as heading over to the Business of Data platform for more forms of great content, including articles, blogs and video. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you real soon.